the uh, Jesus is coming soon understanding that we all have has been taught to us by the Apostle Paul and everybody else. That is directly designed to make sure that we are putting our everything into what we're facing in front of us right now. Yeah. We, we, are, we know that Christ is coming, so here's the obligation. We are obligated as Christians to not only stand up for righteousness, but we're obligated as Christians to speak out. And can I give you a great example? This is the primary driver for this, okay? Let me, let me just say this, okay? We've been saved by Christ. That's what the Bible tells us, because of what Christ has done. The Bible says prior to knowing the Lord, we were in bondage. Every human being that's born is born in total depravity, complete and total depravity. So let me ask you a fundamental question, and it's rhetorical in nature. If we are born in complete and total depravity, and we have not experienced this don't, process don't, don't of go, regeneration. Don't go getting Calvinist on Okay. No, okay. I, this, this is, has yeah. nothing to do with that. And for my Calvinist brothers and sisters, yeah. <laughs> it's just a joke. Relax. It's okay. Um, I lean a, anyway, if I'm born in total depravity and I have no fundamental understanding of what it is to be free because I'm born in bondage, it is horrendous. It is disgraceful. It is evil for Christians to say it's the obligation of those who know no liberty to preserve the liberty in the nation that we're in. We're the only ones who know freedom because Christ has freed us. The natural man will never seek liberty. The natural man will always seek pleasure to the flesh, always will seek comfort. And yes, we know people that have not been saved by Christ, who have pursued it, but it's an enigma. It's the, it is absolutely the exception and not the standard. Uh, so I'm, as Christians, yeah, so as Christians, since we understand freedom, it is our obligation to be the guardians of freedom. And if we choose not to engage in showing people what freedom is, even within the realm of politics, in the name of, well, I'm just preaching the gospel, well, you're only preaching one part of the gospel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to contend with you. I love it. Do it. Yeah. One in nine Americans fought in the Revolutionary War. I've, I've done historical readings on continental soldiers who fought. Mm -hmm. And they outline clearly the reason why they fought. And when you have three to five million Jews in bondage in Egypt, they didn't have the law. God hadn't given the law. They had a promise. But I think it's intrinsic because we've been created in the Imago Dei in the image of God. Right. I think it's intrinsic in every human heart to understand, maybe we don't know liberty, but we understand freedom. When someone has taken something from us that we once had, right. we realize, I don't like that. Right. We don't know where that freedom comes from. Right. But we cry out to someone greater than ourselves. It's right. not fair. A child says, it's not fair. Now, okay. granted, our understanding of the law may be confused and we're in total depravity. But three to five million Jews cried out to God because they were enslaved in Egypt. God sends a deliverer in the form of Moses. He contends with Pharaoh and he does exactly what God says. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is God that I should listen to him? God says, I'll show you who I am. 
10 plagues, three of which the Israelites had to endure. Right. The Passover, which is a depiction of Christ. Right. Firstborn's killed. Pharaoh relents, lets him go, realizes he's losing his economy. Yep. Chases after them with his army. Yep. After they've left with the treasures of Egypt because they gave them to the Israelites. Yep. They have no weaponry. They have the Red Sea in front of them, the army behind them, and mountains on either side. Right. They begin to whine and complain. They wanted freedom, but they don't want to pay for it. Right. And they're complaining against Moses. Moses seeks the Lord because he's the one leading them like the yep. shepherds should. Yep. The Red Sea parts. They go through a light for them, darkness for the, for the Egyptian army. They're drowned. Right. God brings them into the wilderness. They begin to complain again. Mm-hmm. They want freedom, but they don't want to pay for it. People, don't, people want freedom, but they also, they also covet comfort. Right. When their comfort is infringed, right. they're going to complain to the leaders. Right. So uh, let me finish. Okay. So Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. In the meantime, the 40 years that they're in the wilderness, their shoes don't wear out. Their clothes don't wear out miraculously. Right. Food every morning. Right. The logistical nightmare of feeding three to five million people. That's rail car after rail car, yet God miraculously provides it. Water where there isn't any. Quail blown off course so that food comes out of their nostrils. And he goes up on Mount Sinai and receives a downloaded moral app. First five commandments, relationship with God. Second five commandments, relationship with each other. And, And today... In Christendom, we say, oh, the law was given so that we couldn't know that we can't keep it. And we're saved by grace, Ephesians 2. But Abraham was saved by grace. He believed God was accredited him as righteousness, confirmed in Galatians and Romans. So why would 430 years later did God give the law? He gives this downloaded moral app. Moses comes down Sinai. And the entire nation is in debauchery with a golden calf. He's instructed to train the children with this moral knowledge puts the law in the center of the community right. to govern. And the greatest miracle is three to five million Jews live together without a police force or a standing army. Okay. Now, my point, you have a law degree. The law are the wise restraints that make men free. You apply restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence. Yep. There's justice. There's a lawgiver. There's not social justice. There's justice. Yep. And we look at this representative form of government given by Jethro to Moses. Godly men, not covetous, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, federal, state, county, local. Isaiah says the God is our king, our lawgiver, and our judge, executive, legislative, right. judicial branch. All this is formulating in biblically educated men contemplating liberty to set humanity free. Yes. Contending in the public square, the ecclesia. So I think mankind innately desires freedom because when you sing the national anthem, when do you cheer? Oh yeah. Land of the free, free. Yep. Yep. Your family came here for freedom. Yep. This has been a beacon of freedom. You bind the strong man, the world's done. Right. Right. And the church is complicit in binding the strong man from establishing given by the Noahic covenant a form of government, and they say politics is dirty, and I say so is a church, what's your point? But Aristotle said politics is the highest form of community because it combines morality with sociability. The church deals with politics. You deal with politics in your family. It's a hotbed of politics. And they say we can't legislate morality. Every law made is right. based on morality. That's the most stupid statement right. anyone's ever made. So we, we must proclaim liberty 
The apostle yeah. Paul said, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has right. set you free. He wrote right. that in prison. Right. He said in 2 Corinthians 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Right. Liberty is doing what's right. Freedom is having choices. Yeah. Yeah. When you do what's right, people are set free. Yeah. So, so, Almost done. Okay. Sorry. I got to do this to you. Yep. No, no I'm, I'm excited. You're getting me all riled up. It's great. When you do what's right, people are set free. You're now, right. liberty must be fought for and yes. protected. But once liberty is established, freedom comes. Now you come back to the will of man. We're innately desiring to go back to our complacency. So the Titler cycle, Scottish historian says, from freedom comes abundance. Abundance comes apathy. To apathy comes complacency. Complacency comes dependence. Dependence to bondage. And then this representative government, this government of the people by the people, is, it dissolves. It, it has a lifespan. Yep. But in that cycle, you can stop the decline by inserting the, the triangle of freedom, which is faith, virtue, freedom. So an awakening to the law, Galatians 3, the law is a guardian that points us to Christ and keeps us safe until faith comes. That's the virtue, that's the faith. And then the freedom comes. Yep. The law is critical to keep people safe and point them to Christ. If the gospel is the most important thing, the second most important thing must be protecting the government that protects the preaching of that gospel. Yeah, that's right. 86 cents of every dollar in evangelism comes from this nation. The freedom we've been given has created the, the greatest achievements the world has ever known. 5% of the population. More patents, more Nobel Peace Prize winners, more symphonies. You, you, you go to any... Any city in the world, there's a skyscraper. It's there because an American invented the elevator. Yeah. If it's in the yeah. desert, that building's there because an American invented an air conditioner. Yeah. No, you're right. Look, you fly there on a plane invented by an American. Yeah. Sorry. You're, no, you're absolutely right. But so I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to have some fun in making this statement to you. You just helped to make my point. You helped me make my point. That's why we're because, because my point is, is innately, we do not, as, as people who don't, as people who don't know the Lord, Let's just, just say people who've never experienced freedom in Christ. There's something inside of them that wants to be free. Like you said, there's something inside of them that wants to know God. There's something inside of them that wants to worship God. God creates that hunger. But the ability for them to encapsulate it in a way that brings it to its complete fruition, where it becomes where it was intended to be, is impossible for it to be bought out unless there is leadership of men who have experienced it firsthand with the Lord. And here's, here's, I can make a perfect argument for this, okay? The United States of America, contrary to the 1619 Project and all the other baloney that's being taught right now, was founded on biblical principles. It was a, Ben Franklin, amongst many other founders, actually said, and they always, I won't even get into all the history stuff, but he and many others have said, there is no way this document that we are writing right now, referring to the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, can be written outside of the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Amen. It, it, it was done that way. So let me ask this question, anybody who says that this is not a true conclusion. If it's so true that every single person who does not know the Lord would naturally want to contend for freedom, why isn't every other country like the United States of America? Why isn't every country that's out there, why haven't they experienced the freedom that we haven't? I'll tell you why. I'm, I'm going to make it really clear. Because there is no other nation in the world that ever gave way like the United States of America 
to the heart of the fire and the souls of men who were leading this country as pastors who were filled with the spirit of God to inspire such a change. The Declaration of Independence before it was ever penned by a handful of authors and, and obviously given by Thomas Jefferson credit was preached in the pulpits of America first. And, Amen. And, and this is another time and, and, and I'll bring out all the evidence on that. But Thomas Jefferson said, look, if you're ever going to build a monument to my name, you must only include one of three of my accomplishments that are my greatest. One is that I was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Two, that I was the founder of the University of Virginia. And three, was the work on religious freedom that he accomplished Amen. in Virginia through the legislature. Amen. That work, I just, I just revisited it the last three days, is phenomenal. Every pastor in America should read that. Because you will never be able to contend for truth if truth is being silenced by a tyrant. Amen. Amen. And it is the obligation, yes. the fundamental obligation of those who are filled with the spirit and called by God to pastor the church to speak up according to it. Yeah. I put pastors in the same category that I would in Ezekiel, where if you do not shout when the army is coming, if you do not speak up, that blood is on your hands. Jesus said this. Look, John said this in John 1.1. In Greek, he penned these words. He said, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then later, the word became flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The manifestation of the word of God, which has always existed, came to us in Christ. Yeah, and the word is truth. And if I am... If I personally am to be like Christ was, I will absolutely contend in the political arena. You think for a second Christ didn't contend in the political arena? The most out of context argument that people make for Christ not contending in the political arena is, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. That was not a pro let it go argument. Uh, exactly. It's a fallacy. It's a tremendous fallacy. People, under, they don't understand the language. And here's the major mistake that people make with language, J just so that you know, okay? Jesus is no doubt speaking with the Aramaic and Hebrew mindset using a Greek language. He's using the Hebrew and Aramaic mindset. He's very likely speaking in Aramaic as this is going on. And these gospels are being penned in Greek. Now, when you're speaking from one language to another, you have some fundamental difficulties, right? And here's a great example. When I was in Russia in 1999, I was asked to teach a bunch of students in Russia how to read Greek using a translator. So one of the things I would do to some of the pastors that were with me, I'd say, listen, you guys can't use pop culture words that these people won't understand because the translator is going to have a hard time. They have no idea how to so do that. So they the get US. up, one of the pastors gets up and he says, man, the other day I was mowing my lawn. It was a really, really hot day and I jumped in the pool. How the heck do you translate that from the English language into the Russian language? The Russians, now you could go up to them right now. No, no, a better one would be making a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, same thing. They're like, what are you doing? A mountain what are you out of a molehill. Yeah. Take the Nesty plunge. That's an outdated illustration yeah. a lot of people use. They're not going to understand that. Yeah. So you have some fundamental language problems that I come up. And the translation from the Aramaic mindset into the Greek mindset using Greek words makes it all the more difficult. And, and I can give you the, the best example of this on a technical level is the differences in languages, right? If I were to tell you using uh, the Arabic uh, language, if I were to say, 
I just told you with a word-for-word translation. I said, go to the ice and get me something cold. That's the literal translation of what I told you. It's, it's what we'd call the word-for-word translation. Now, if I were to translate that in a dynamically equivalent fashion, I just told you this. I said, go into the fridge and grab me a Coke. Yeah. Hebrew is a dynamically equivalent language. Aramaic is a dynamically equivalent language. Greek is not. Greek is a very word-for-word language. So imagine having the difficulty of pinning on paper or on parchment an Aramaic mind with an Aramaic set of words into Greek and then thousands of years later taking that and putting it into the English language. This is where the gravest error of pastors come into play. Because they don't take time to consider the cultural implications. They don't take time to consider the situational, the surroundings at the time, the situation that brought what he said on. They don't consider the context. There's a lot of things that don't get considered. And then we coin phrases that never meant what it intended to be. And the render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's and give unto God's what is God's is a perfect example of people oftentimes misappropriating it. The reason why that answer was so absolutely genius is because anybody who would have heard render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's would have taken that as, okay, well, he's not speaking against Caesar technically, but yet anybody who had a deep-rooted understanding of what he was saying was saying, you need to take a stand in the forum of Caesar. Amen. And then when he says render unto God's what is God's, What he's actually saying, especially saying it after he made mention of Caesar is, yield yourself to God fully, wholly, and completely, and allow him to regulate how you render that to Caesar. Amen. That's the exact mindset. That's a good word. Let's, let's do this because we're limited on time. You're coming back. Oh, <laughs> great. I'd love to I, come I'm not, back. I'm not asking. It's a great drive. I'm not asking you. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> Thank you, bro. It's a blessing. It's not a request. It's, it's a, an that's honor. A, that's an it's order. It's a blessing. I appreciate it. Um, you alluded to you're the salt of the earth and, and help me with this one. Yeah. Because this is, this is where pastors dumped on Charlie and I'm responsible for it because we were in the back room before he, he was on Jack Hibbs's program. And, and I told him, I said, you know, the, the scripture says, Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. If salt loses its flavor, it's thrown out, trampled underfoot, good for nothing. In Latin, we get the word Saul for salt. Yeah. Where we also get the word salary. Yeah salary. Yep. And, and Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Mm-hmm. And, and I looked at it and I was telling Charlie, Jesus is saying the currency, if you don't know the currency of the culture, you're thrown out and trampled underfoot. Yep. And every, every psychological, I'm not talking about dominionism. I'm talking just, let's just look at psychologically speaking right. or, or culturally speaking, there are areas of influence that drive a culture. Yep. They've coined them, and I'm not using it dominionistly speaking, but they've coined them arts, entertainment, media, business, politics, religion, education, and family. And they're all critical. Yep. So in those seven areas that drive a culture, every one of them has a currency. Yep. In media or in arts and entertainment, it's movie sales, movie tickets. Yep. In religion, I hope it's truth is the currency. Right. In in media, it's followers. Yep. In business, it's the bottom line. Yep. And we just go down the list. They all politics. There, there's one currency in politics. You you don't know it, but I do. And the reason why you don't know it is because you've never run for office and you've never held office. Can I guess? I've held office. Go ahead and guess. Power. Winning elections. That's the currency in politics. To win an election. Because of the precedent you set. Yeah. But, well, you, you're good. in control. You That's win. Good. 
Yeah. So when you get a pastor who says, I'm not going to vote for a man who's been three times married and twice divorced. And I'm not going to vote for her because she's pro-choice. I'm going to vote third party. Yep. I'm going to tell you as a politician, knowing this mountain, knowing this influence realm, you're irrelevant to me. You're completely irrelevant. Just go away. I'm not walking your precinct. I, I, I'm not. And, and Dr. Michael Brown was on our show and he said, we gathered people. We went to the meeting, the council meeting. We had a hundred speakers. And I said, and you lost, didn't you? He goes, yeah. I said, because I've been in those council meetings. They're not moved by that. They're moved on who votes, who's controlling the narrative. Politicians are actors performing right. a script written by the audience. You don't know the currency because you don't participate. There's 15 million evangelical Christians in California. Half of them aren't registered to vote and half of those don't even vote that are registered. Do you realize that's why Jesus said, be wise as serpents, yeah. gentle as dove? So my point is, yeah. I told Charlie, I go, why would God pick a guy like Trump if he appoints all positions of authority? Yeah. He's been three times married, twice divorced. He's, he's caustic in his Twitters or his tweets. He's, he's bombastic. He's, you know, he's, he's just, why? And I said, look, I, I'm not God. I can only speculate. But I do know this. Why did God, why did God pick Samson? Right. There's nothing moral about his life. Yeah, David. No, no, David, I can find some morality. I can't find it with Samson. Yeah. This is a guy that was prophesied, one of only two that was prophesied to deliver God's people similar to Jesus. One was right. Jesus and the other was Samson before right. he was born in the womb. Right. He was raised with a Nazarite vow, which is the equivalent of homeschooling. Yep. Manoah and his wife were, were like disciplined on that. Right. So you want to see a guy that's been prophesied by the Lord to deliver his people. What's the first words out of his mouth recorded in scripture being homeschooled? And the first words out of his mouth is, there's that Philistine woman. I want her. Go get her. Hmm. And he, he, he's in a prostitute's bed all night and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him to break the bonds. He goes to pay off a gambling debt and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. I mean, there's nothing moral about his life. Why yeah. would God pick this guy? Yeah, it's true. Judges 14, four. What Samson's parents didn't realize, Manoah and his wife, is that God was seeking the occasion to move against the Philistines. Yeah. Samson was willing to do what God's people weren't, engage the enemy. Right. Trump, much like Samson, Samson was iconic in his hair and his downfall was women. Trump, hair is iconic. I, I know it's a weirdo, but let's look at it this way. Why would God pick him? Well, let's just look at the seven mountains that move a culture or the seven areas so we don't trip people up are worried about dominionism arts and entertainment number one television show in america yeah oh yeah, yeah. Me media yep he has the most influential twitter account on the face of the earth politics he took out 16 republican candidates and the most heavily funded democrat candidate in the history of the nation religion no one's done more for religious freedom in my lifetime yeah i uh, probably ever um family Three times married, twice divorced. Yep. His ex-wives have a great relationship with him, and all his kids are successful in their own right. Business. Oh, Trump, he's a master. Trump brand is world-renowned. Yeah. So he's equipped for the culture. Pastors aren't. You don't even know the currency in politics. You're voting third party. You're irrelevant. Well, <laughs> let me take it even a step further that's, than that. And by the way, that's moral, pi <coughs> moral pietism. Yeah. You're, you're making a, a statement without making, w without making a difference. It's a form of virtue signaling, too. Vir that's virtue a signaling. Other, it's a whole other argument. Let, let, April 14th, 1865, the great emancipator, Abraham Lincoln. Sherman's made it down to Atlanta. The war is coming to a conclusion. It's going to close. They've lost 650,000 
soldiers on a field of battle. They've removed the, you know, the, the, the misery of slavery from the warp and the woof of the fabric of our nation. This man's never professed membership to any church. He's never been baptized. But Elizabeth Keckley, who was the aide and attendant in the White House, said that he read his Bible every day and no one's ever quoted more scripture. And you look at his first inaugural and second inaugural address, it's inundated with scripture. And this guy gets it. Mm-hmm. William Herndon had said he was an atheist, but everyone else says otherwise. And you can read his writings and it's evident. It's a lie. He was an atheist. No way. John Wilkes Booth approaching the back of his head with a derringer and caps him. And by the way, the last words he said were, to his wife as he's leaning into her in Ford's theater. My dear, when this is all over, meaning the war, I long to walk with you in the footsteps of our savior in the streets of Jerusalem, confirmed by the curator of the Lincoln Library and Mary Todd Lincoln herself. He ends up dying the next day, April 15th, 1865, in a bed attached to the theater. The great emancipator. Probably one of the greatest presidents in the history of our country. You know what the pulpits in America, if you look at the sermon titles, you know what the pulpits in America preached on? On, on that Good Friday? It was Good Friday, by the way. They decried the fact that the president died in a theater on Good Friday. Virtue signaling. Hmm. This is a guy who took a bullet. Hmm. This is a guy that was vilified. This is a guy that, I mean, that's, that's what you're doing from the pulpit? <laughs> Look, the... the and close it, with this because yeah, we're... I'll, I'll close. It's a, it's, a great, it's a great way to close. The salt of the earth... I'll, I'll take this even a step further, and this will get us, that'll get everybody in trouble, but I'll just t- take a step Ooh. further. <laughs> passages like the salt of the earth, passages like the type of passages that you've been quoting of things we've been learning about how we should be a light and how we should be an example and how we should stand and contend for freedom, they go beyond these seven scopes of influence. They transcend it. Now, here's the thing. If they transcend it, forgive me for saying this, you can label it any way you want. You can say seven. You can say five. You can, you could, you could, you could conflate a few. You yeah. can do whatever you want. Add to it, sure. But there is, an, a, there is a general assumption that is given to us by the authors of the scripture who are inspired by the Holy Spirit that we already have developed an awareness of those things. Yeah. Because as pastors, it has been given to us the responsibility to understand every aspect that we deal with in life, which we cover all of those areas. This is why the scriptures continue to teach, t- tell us things like, hey, look, you know what, husbands? W- love your wives as Christ loved the church. Dwell with them with understanding. What do you think he means when he says with understanding? Th- does he mean you sit there and go, I'm the big kahuna, serve me, woman, do whatever you want? No. Learn to understand who you're ministering to because if you don't understand her, good luck getting through to her. I have a little Down syndrome brother. He's the, the world to me. He's incredible. There's no way you will ever be able to minister to that young man unless you understand the way his brain works. Yeah. I cannot execute the traditional types of judgment that people give. It's a a misappropriation of the word. Uh, I got it. And they got it. Discipline. Yeah. Right? We have a word similar to that in Arabic. It's very different. Discipline. (laughs) I can't give that kind of discipline to him. If I were to go to my little brother right now when he did something that he shouldn't have done and spank him, let me tell you how he would view that spanking. He would view that spanking the same way two police officers that are sitting down. This is a, a graphic picture. But me and you, let's say we're both police officers. We're sitting down. We're close together. We're close. We're good brothers. We're friends. We've known each other for a long time. We know each other's wives, children, all that. We're just great friends. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I just take out a gun and blow your brain. That is a little graphic. It is graphic. But the moment... 
as I'm pulling out the gun and pointing it to you, you're going to be so confused, you're going to have no idea what hit you. Like, why is he doing this? Why is it coming all of a sudden? You're not even going to think defense. You're just going to be confused. That's exactly what would happen to him. He would view that as, why are you spanking me? You're hurting me. Why are you trying to hurt me? I didn't do anything for you to try to hurt me. For me to be able to establish something punitively with him would be a whole different route that would never work with another child. I track you. So the Bible tells us basics about the way we should live. The salt picture is a beautiful picture because we're not only talking about currency here. We're talking about preservation. We're talking about the causing of thirst. Lots of other pictures with this. But those are basic. See, those transcend beyond what we should be understanding. If I don't understand how to minister to the culture that I'm ministering to, then what I'm doing with what I've been given is going to be worthless because I don't know how to apply it. Be all things to all men. That's that right. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Yeah. Being all things to all men. When I talk to a group of police officers, it's very, very different. Yeah. When I'm teaching at a Bible college, I'm not going to, or if I, let's just say I'm teaching a, a class of, of three-year-olds. I'm not going to say, let's talk about the implications of the split infinitive as it's related to the very first part of John 1 yeah. uh, in it, as it connects to verse 2. What? Uh, when, when the Bible says raise a child in the way that they should go when they're old, they won't depart thereof. The idea of according to their bend. That's right. And every child learns differently. So this is, this is a great way. Seriously, we, I want to do this a few more times. I'd love to do it, bro. So um, let's leave it with this, that regardless of your eschatology, we're here tonight contending for a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And, and that is a fundamental understanding that was given to the founders by God. Amen. Grounded completely in scripture. And, and that's how man realizes the Imago Dei and achieves what God has always intended that comes about by liberty in application, not freedom having choices to be enslaved, but freedom to apply restraints towards evil in order to pursue excellence that can only be given by moral knowledge. Amen. And if the pulpits are not participating and engaging, then we are complicit in the destruction. And it doesn't matter your denomination or your eschatology. This is critical. And you have been so helpful Oh, thank you. Bro. And defining that. Yeah. And I, we got to do it again. Yeah. And I, I, can I just make one last comment? Close it. For all of you pastors that are coming against guys like Charlie. I, leave him alone. We gave, <laughs> look, we gave Charlie a Bible. We, we inscribed a Bible. We gave it to him. And I told Charlie, and I guess he was, was, he was shopping for a new one anyway. I said, Charlie, and it was hard not to get emotional when I said this. I said, Charlie, every time you open the Bible that we got you, I want it to be a reminder to you that there are men behind the pulpit who understand their responsibility to contend and make way for you to do what God has called Amen. you to do. Amen. I'm never going to have the scope of influence that you do. Yeah. But I'm going to always be dedicated to picking you up, teaching you, building you up, yeah. giving you everything that you need because the enemy hates you. Yeah. He is so teachable. Yeah. He's wonderful. He, yeah, There's I no agree. guile in him. He's, I agree. He's, he's, just keep praying for him. I would agree. Hey, you, can, you can bash him or you can pray for him. So... Um, and, or, and, and like with the two of us, you can love him, and we do. And um, yeah, I think that's a good one to finish on. Would you close us in prayer? Let's do it. Yeah. Father, I just thank you for this time, Lord. It, uh, <laughs> it's been great. It's great to spend some time reflecting on these truths. Lord, may we be people whose hearts and minds are set towards you.
Lord, I know. I know you're coming back soon. That's the whole reason why we're doing this, Lord. Help us to have the boldness and the wisdom and the strength to contend for this nation, Lord. Yes, Lord. This nation is the last <laughs> shining star. Lord, as we just make that last run, Lord, as, a, as we're in this time where we see the world falling apart around us, Lord, help us to contend for righteousness. Help us, Lord, to shine our lights brighter than it ever has. Lord, I pray for another spiritual awakening. I, I pray for another revival. Yes, God. I pray, God, that we would not allow the wickedness that wants to seep in, Lord, with the different movements that are going on, these satanically inspired movements, Lord. May we yield to that which is right. Yes. Lord, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but please, Lord, we beg that you would inspire Christians all over the country to vote. Amen. To vote for President Trump, to vote for the people that, Lord, will stand for righteousness. Yes. That these babies' lives will be saved. Yes. That we'll care about fathers in the home and all the other things going on, Lord. We just put it in your hands, Lord. Yes. Inspire God. men in the ministry to put up everything. Help them to understand that they have nothing to lose, that they're dead already in this battle. Yep. That they would fight as though they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yeah. We thank you, Lord. We just ask these things now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, this blessing from number six, um, it's in English. Can you read it in another language? Of uh, I don't have a reference in front of me to be able to do it, but I can come back and do it at another time. We'll do it another time. I'll, I'll, just, yep. I'll do it in English. And this is for you and all our viewers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. James Cadiz, bless you, my brother. Thank you, bro. Folks, thanks for tuning in. He's going to be back. And in the meantime, since this was pre-recorded, when you come back, uh, we, we want to do questions from our viewers. And so now you know that this guy is equipped to answer them. Huh. So we're going to do it sooner and later. And be ready for that. God bless you guys. See you tomorrow night.